Hello and welcome to a special Women's Day edition of Text Talks. Over the course of the last six seasons, I've interviewed some of South Africa's brightest music icons and future disruptors. And so this year, to pay tribute to them, but also to commemorate the women who fight every day for freedom and equality across our diverse landscape, I've decided to pick a few of my favorite moments from interviews that have stayed with me long after we've stopped recording. Apart from making some of the most forward-thinking hip-hop in South Africa that we've seen over the last five years, Rouge has unapologetically blazed her own path in a genre that's very openly misogynistic and known to be a boys' club of sorts. In the middle of all of this, she takes up space and owns her voice, and it's inspiring to say the very least. Let's take a listen. Rouge, I think one of the things that I really admire about you is your confidence and how unapologetic you are about how you want to do things your way. Thank you. Um, and that's from like the contract with Sony to, you know, your social media. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget, there was, there was a tweet that you tweeted and it, it, I think it said something like, honestly speaking, I'm the best. You know, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and I think a lot of haters hopped on that to which you responded like, I think the problem here is that most of you think I'm asking and I'm not asking, I'm telling you. <laughs> and I just, you know, I thought that that was so great and I watched it all go down on my timeline. And I think that what a lot of people missed about what you were trying to say was that you were not about to wait around for any boys to tell you that you're dope. 100%. You know that you're dope. 100%. And that, and that that confidence has to come from within first. hundred percent. And I mean, I was just wondering what you thought about, I mean, obviously we know that misogyny is rife in, in hip hop yes. on a global scale, not, not only a local scale, but it's this idea that like, people and men in hip-hop expect women to think less of themselves, mm. which, which I mean, I wanted to know how you, like, are combating something like that. Obviously, with your social media and your very, like, frank tweets, I love it. Yeah. But how you go about maybe breaking that stereotype. I think one thing that people know comes with Rouge is that she's never afraid to take on the boys. That That's mm. something that... I made it very clear from the moment I entered this industry that I was not going to shy away and have this thing of, oh, ladies first, men men after. I was just like, no, we are walking in together. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Um, I was never mm. in a space where I was going to let these men think that I needed any favors or they were doing me any favors. I made it very clear that I'm willing to rock all of you. Guy, girl, I am... I, Look, anybody can get it. That that was very important for me to put out there because it was very clear that, you know, no one felt like the girls had what it took um, when we were coming out. It was it was a thing of, you know, um, it's a thing of we needed the men to give us the okay. We needed, you know, these guys to give us all the cosigns. Great and well, fine. That was that was cool in the beginning, but then afterwards, it's like, okay, what do we have to offer? And I'm not gonna, I'm not waiting to be a first lady. That's one thing I refused. I said, I will not be a first lady to no guy. I won't. I will be mm. president, whether you guys like it or not. And if that means I have to work <laughs> ten times harder, which is always the case for us females, of course, that's exactly of course. what needed 
um, needed to happen. And even with that tweet that happened, it, wow, it, it blew up. That was, it was so funny. Um, and funny enough with that, with that tweet, the first person who called me was AKA and he called me <laughs> and he was like, yes, Rouge, yes, that is what we are talking about. Own it. Be proud. You need to say this because why is it okay for us guys to say it and it doesn't trend because it's fine. But why is it now? Why is it massive hearing a girl own her power? He went on this rant about it and he was like, that's exactly that. You hear these guys gassing themselves on every song, every single song. I am that guy, best guy in the world. And it's a norm. And the moment a girl said it, it's like, what? She owned her power. <gasps> she said she's the best. It's like as if you guys were going to make me wait for somebody to tell me I'm the best. <laughs> what am I doing in this game if I don't believe that I'm the best at what I do? Um, and yeah, and I owned it. Until this day, there's nobody, you know, as much as I wouldn't say haters. I just think I just think it's, you know, hip hop is it's a combat sport. Round one. You know, it's competitive and it's everyone's camps coming in, defending their camps, which, you know, I expected that was that, that was fun. You know what I mean? Um, but till this day, I haven't had anybody try and come at me with a song or a diss track or whatever, because everyone knows what I'm saying. And I back it. I don't just talk it. I walk it. I walk it in the music I make. I walk it in the business mind that I have. I walk it into the space that I'm in. I made a decision to have my entire team completely male just so they can see a woman lead and that they can take that into their own homes and into their own relationships and knowing that um they all follow me and they allow me to lead them they allow me to be you know to be the head of this and they respect it and and that's literally the decision why my entire team is male so that could, they could see this happen and understand that it was okay. And wow, do they not push me and make sure that I own it. And yeah, it's amazing. Not only was Judith Sapuma the queen of Afro jazz, an absolute pleasure to interview from a personal and professional standpoint, but nothing was off the table when it came to this conversation. We spoke about a lot of things, but it was her expression of admiration for the Cape Town International Jazz Festival and its organizers for really elevating her career that's a talking point that sticks out in my mind. Let's take a listen. One of the most heartbreaking moments just before lockdown hit, I mean, for me at least, was when the Cape Town International Jazz Festival announced that they were going to postpone 2020's show. I mean, it wasn't surprising yeah. given that the entire world was shutting down, but it was heartbreaking because yeah. it's such a wow. phenomenal event, yeah. annual event yeah. on, on, on a completely different scale. And you yeah. were about to perform at the Jazz Festival yeah, for the fourth jazz, time. Yeah. Yes. But but let's talk about the very first time that you stepped yeah. onto the jazz festival stage in 2000. Because, I mean, it's called Africa's grandest gathering for a reason. And everyone yeah. comes from all over the world to see us and to hear yeah. Africa perform. Can you describe that feeling of walking onto stage, uh, but then also um, off stage after your first performance? <sighs> It's the best. This is when you have well, a sip of your yeah. Chardonnay. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> yeah, I just did. <laughs> so, 
let me tell you um when i okay so basically i i have always had a wonderful amazing relationship with the cape town jazz festival they are the the the, the ones who firstly took me to holland to go perform at the North Sea, in the Hague, at, yeah, in the Hague. Mm-hmm. I that was my very first uh, performance because remember um, the Cape Town Jazz was named um, the North Sea Jazz Festival at first. Yes, in Johannesburg. In, sorry, in Cape Town, in right? Cape Town. So, so the the first one was in Holland. So that that one blew my mind. I went on that stage before Marcus Miller and he was standing I remember on my on my right hand side at the corner and we were performing. He came out to watch who was on that stage because everyone, I think it was about 10,000 or 15,000 people in that oh hall because I was put in the main stage. Imagine this little girl from Ulokwani in The Hague for the... You know, I went on that stage and I sang E-I-U-I and everyone sang along. They they, they, they sang, they, they were singing to that song like they knew it and it was for the first time they were hearing it. And wow. from then onwards, all the songs, everybody was dancing to them. A cry, a smile and a dance. We performed with everybody. We had only a thousand CDs and they were finished within like five minutes. Oh my gosh. So I, could have been, I could have been so wealthy. Imagine in the house. What is, it, what is that currency there? Euros. But back Euros. in the day, it would have been something else. Whatever the yeah. currency was in the Netherlands at the time. I would have been so wealthy from just having sold, I don't know how many CDs. So they brought them. They bought all of them. So now that was my first time. And then I performed on quite a few of them when they came to Johan, when they were eventually, you know, contracted with um, ESP for for Cape Town, mm-hmm. for the Cape Town label. Mm-hmm. But now, can I please talk about the 2017 one that I remember? It was not my first time on that massive stage, but that particular one, we actually just played it now online for our people. And that show, when I performed on in 2017 the most special moment for me was walking on stage walking on and hearing seeing because i you know i always set my shows as a production it's not just a show we don't just walk on we've thought about it we've walked it we've talked about lighting we've talked about sound where you're gonna put this effect where do you walk in where do you exit all of that it's a show it's a production so i walked on when they started my you know, because the world was dark and I had to be, you know, spotlighted and oh, the people, they scream. And then, you know, we like drama on stage. So I had to pause <laughs> a little bit and let everybody to be quiet because I knew the first song I was singing, they were going to go crazy for it. And it happened exactly as I had imagined it. So you have to actually plan it, see it. When you do that, you become a part of the show before you get to the show. So it was so amazing. And that was the best moment. The Another best moment, besides throughout the show, giving people that much love, so much love. When I was leaving, they called me back again. They could not stop singing my last song. The audience stayed behind and they had to go out because there was another show that had to be prepared. But... 
people stayed behind singing my last song. It was amazing. The best, those are my best parts. Best that is moment. incredible. Yeah. But I, I read that while you were performing at the North Sea Jazz Festival, Marcus mm-hmm. Miller, the legendary bassist who you mentioned earlier, he yeah. said to Billy Domingo, who you went with to yes. the North Sea Jazz Festival, he said, yeah. that girl, that girl with the big hair, we want her. And <laughs> I love that so much because especially in light of the story yeah. that you told me earlier about you yeah. got to Cape Town and you got out of the taxi or the bus and, you know, those yeah. girls looked at you and they laughed, you know, because of yeah. your hair or whatever they were laughing at. And here yeah. you've got one of the best bassists in the world yeah. going, that girl with the hair, that one, yeah. her. Do you, we want her. Do you feel like African musicians have an inferiority complex? Like they don't realize that their sound and their rhythms and their soul, like the rest of the world actually can't get enough of them. And, and how do you break out of that mindset if you're stuck in it? Okay, you see, um, I, I'm glad you asked that. I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's confidence, firstly. It's confidence in who you are as a South African artist. The power, our sound, not even our music, our mm-hmm. sound, our colors of the clothing, the food we eat, our language, you know. Um, we are so rich in, 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 in its wealth that we have. We're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. So when they come, they tap into it, they want it. And when they have it, we are like, oh, but that's ours, you know. So I came from hands whereon I was told that you got to get on that stage and sing as if that is your last show. You don't have any other moment. When you drop that microphone, you're dead. <laughs> so what are you going to impress? <laughs> what are you going to say? Me? And, and that's how I've been performing my entire life until today. I perform as if when I drop that microphone, I'm going to die. So I want you to remember me that... Oh, she gave her best. And I know that I'm not going to die because I, it's not going to happen now. So, but I, just that feeling, it gives you, it pushes you to think, I don't have any other moment. I might never get booked. I might never get an opportunity to sing to these people. Somebody in that audience wants to hear my voice. They want to be healed by my voice. Mm. They want their life to be tra- transformed. Relationships get healed, you know, when we sing, when I sing. And it's been proven. I've heard it. I, I've lived it. I've seen it. I've been inboxed. I've been told. I've celebrated with them. Mm. So it's what we do. So I get on that stage and I do that. I just, that my, especially when I know that you're from the U.S., ooh, I'll show off. <laughs> I'm going to sing every song that has got a You don't even have to understand. I'm going to confuse you like crazy because that's my sound. From the moment Msaki and I were introduced, this woman and I got along like a house on fire. And even though we still haven't met, in my mind, we're besties. And when I was thinking back on this interview because it was all the way back in season two, I clearly remembered the warmth of her voice and general demeanor, but also how she spoke about her latest single at the time that she'd released alongside Sun L Musician. Let's take a listen. You released a track with Sun L Musician, which I actually... (laughs) 
was the last track I heard on the radio on the way to record this um, this afternoon. So I was like, it's a sign. And Naomi <laughs> Abumanga is just, it's so beautiful. And I was in the car with my dad and my dad was like, oh, this song is dope. And I was like, yes, actually, I'm, I'm going to like interview the, the vocalist on this track for my podcast. And he was like, oh, tell her I love it. I'm like, oh, cool. That's so cool. <laughs> That's but, so sweet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, essentially like, that's a track that talks about being like stuck without any idea of like how to move forward and I think that in a time like this it's a sentiment that a few people more than a few people can relate to like do you think that the the success of the song at this time maybe feels a bit ironic definitely I really think so and it's I got tweeted the other day by someone who said Musagi you lied which means like you lied life has come to a standstill and I found <laughs> part of me is like wants to say put your big old panties on but I'm also like look you know it's also an opportunity to move with sympathy and to be like I know things are not easy but you really need to speak yourself out of this because things are not going to be like this forever and that's what the that's what the song says you know that like there's something on the other side of this and even if we can only at that day when your life feels like everything is stuck like the birds are still chirping the sun is gonna rise we really need to find a way to dig deep and like keep trying you know because because at the end of the day nothing is going to happen if you don't try even that like nothing is going to move if you don't at least try that's all we can do we can show up and try Starting season five off with Shekinah will forever be a milestone achievement in the legacy of Text Talks, one day when I look back at it all. Not only did we release it the day before her highly anticipated second album drop, but Shekinah is a notoriously private person who prefers to speak through her music. On this episode, she was so candid about her life and also her second annual Rose Fest, where she went out of her way to give women an opportunity as she put the event together. Let's take a listen. What sparked the idea to create a festival celebrating the power of woman, the power of she? Um, it was definitely my, like, a lot of experience being in the industry before having Rose Fest. And realizing that the festival curators were all male and 80% of the lineup was male, um, I always say, like, I never really wanted to reinvent the wheel. I just wanted to add to the spokes. I wanted to allow the audience to experience something different every year. We all have our staple festivals that we want to attend, whether it's Major League Gardens, whether it's Fill Up the Dome, whether it's mm. Joburg Day, whether it's KFM Day, whether it's 5FM, East Coast Radio, you know, we all have certain things in the calendar that we don't miss. And I just wanted Rose Fest to be one of them. And in having them and having Rose Fest as one of those festivals that you bookmark yearly to attend, you also know that you're supporting 80% women. Um, and that was really just what I wanted to give to the people. You know, normally with events like Rose Fest, it's common to have an all-female lineup, but not a female crew. And I was very interested to learn that that's what you wanted to do with the Rose Fest in terms of a crew as well. What was your thinking behind that decision? Um, I really had a lot of help from my team when it came to making that decision because I think my normal crew and my normal team is like very male oriented. Um, and I was with people that were like, we need to start some sort of program in the sound companies that we do use regularly 
where they have a female internship so that the crew that's working is fully female and the assist crew is all male. And obviously the assist crew would be people that were more experienced. And yeah. we found out, you know, in, in experimenting and workshopping with that, we found out that the woman had never gotten the opportunity to be forefront mm. of a running live real festival. That's so sad. Which which is which is sad. It's just a reality. I mean, yeah. So I think from there onwards with that with that idea really being initiated by the team that I was working with, um, I think at Quay Creative, um, I realized that we needed to make sure that we constantly had a majority female team and crew and tech as much as we could. So when we did our digital festival, we had a female that we had a female lighting lighting we had female this we had female that and um i think it's beautiful because women uh we seldom get the opportunity to be in the forefront you know um just with anything that we do um and even in the background you know it's the same with my album i have no female music producers or female engineers working on the project which i know that is something i want to change going forward mm. when I read about the fact that the the crew for Rosefest was an an all female crew or majority female crew. The first thing that sprung into my mind was oh, it must have been quite difficult to source a female crew. And you know, like you said, now females in that line of work don't normally get the opportunity. You know, they're always. Um, the, the intern or yeah. they're, you know, working under a man. And I think that what you did by incorporating that into Rosefest is you're giving back and you're laying a foundation for women that have never had that opportunity before. So Rosefest is, uh, it's so groundbreaking in so many different ways, but in 2020, after your first edition in 2019, that was, I mean, incredibly successful. In 2020, obviously, we all know what happened. <laughs> My fellow South Africans. <laughs> I.e. pandemic and lockdown. Yep. Um, and you decide to take the second edition of Rosefest digital. And apart from the music experience, Rosefest 2020 was eight weeks of open discussions with women prompting conversations about body image and gender-based violence and, and bias in the workplace and anxiety. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, how, how important is it, how important was it for you to participate in these conversations and to educate other women on this platform and to have those discussions be a part of Rosefest for the first time? Oh, it was super important. Um, I think if there's anything that I love doing besides singing and eating is talking. Um, so <laughs> it was, it was so beautiful to introduce that, um, that new, new aspect of Rosefest. But in the same breath, I felt like we needed a platform to communicate and to chat. Um, and to chat about the things that really um, irk us, bother us, struggle, we struggle with. Um, I also knew that Rosefest, we were trying to do something in the middle of a pandemic and it was important to address the pandemic. So the talks were definitely our way of addressing the pandemic, but also in the same breath, um, addressing issues that were being brought to the light, um, especially for myself, me being super anxious and 
um, you know, just feeling like an imposter and all sorts of things. It was beautiful to talk amongst other with, uh, other women and hear where they came from and what they were experiencing and just not feel so alone in everything that's happening. Um, and I hope that we continue to do the talks again this year. It's just such a, a big thing to put together as small as these things end up looking online and just cutely packaged and you know, small audiences being reached. Obviously, I think the more we talk and the more we stay consistent at having these chats, the bigger the conversation can grow. Um, so I'm very excited for Rose Fest, extending itself online, um, as well as extending itself to um, having conversations, open conversations with women and with everyone else. This was the first face-to-face interview that I've done since season one with proper social distancing protocols adhered to, I promise. And having Dee Koala sit opposite me really made this interview because she is a larger-than-life character. And I know that's so cliche to say, but when she told me about losing her mother and her grandmother last year within a relatively short space of one another, I really looked at her differently because... To possess that kind of strength after such a tragedy and still go on to become the first South African artist to sign an international deal with Tommy Hilfiger while building her brand from the ground up. That is superhero stuff. Let's take a listen. It kind of brought so much affirmation to me. You're supposed to do hip hop. You're supposed to do this music thing like this. You're supposed to, you're meant for this. It kind of gave me a bit of affirmation, but okay, yeah. This is, this is, you, you, you deserved this, and for you getting this, go on, get more. Mm. So, go get it. Exactly. <laughs> so, when, especially for the part that it's best female, mm. I'm not a, I'm not a big mascot for the title female rappers mm-hmm. not a big mascot of that or the question when i get in interviews like how do you feel as a female being in this male dominant industry fuck that because like, literally fuck that because there's no one that is dominating this industry because we all are mm-hmm I'm not trying to sound cute or corny or cheesy, but we all are in our own fields, in our own spaces. We are dominating. Somebody once said to me, if you want to know how ridiculous terming something like female rapper sounds, put male rapper in front of everything. It sounds ridiculous. So we don't say that. So why are we singling out being a woman? Why are we doing that? And also... What is so trash is that people don't understand that women are the best storytellers ever. There is no way. Someone said, someone commented on something that I was doing and said, uh, um, you know, you, you, you are one of, you're the only female rapper that I can call a rapper because you're rapping for real. And Ooh. I said, what does that mean? And I'm like, nah, because they were like, nah, because you're not rapping about your, your thighs. And, and I'm like, whoa. See, you guys are so insecure as men mm. that you can't even rap about your own body or be confident about your body. But you want to come and rap about our body and we can't even rap about ours? Can you imagine men rapping about penis sizes, really? for example? Really? Oh, my God. Really? 
Like, that's my thing. Like, you guys want to rap about our bodies and you don't even own them. That's where this thing starts. Mm. You feel like you own our bodies so that you guys can rap about them and, and seem like you're appreciating them. Yet you're not. But you shame us for rapping about our beautiful asses and our beautiful thighs. And you want to hate us and call us not such big rappers because we rap about that? Bro, we're telling you a story about my body and you're listening and you're loving it. Mm-hmm. So when I so when I won that award, having a bunch of men sit with their in front of my eyes, sit with their laptops and phones and just voting, I took a moment and I paused and I was like, "Damn, this is a revolution for me. Mm-hmm. This is the biggest support I can ever ask for, starting from home." <laughs> Text Talks is coming to you from the amazing Kaya Creative Studios at Neighborhood in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Shout out to Tom's, the only music store for keeping us connected. From me, your host, Tex, my producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our researcher, Elle Clapper. Catch you on the flip side.